Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about holding people accountable who don't work for you. You mean like me? I don't work for you? Right. And I have to hold you accountable on a regular basis. Ain't that the truth? You know, I right? do, do as I say, not as I do. Well, you know, we've talked about role modeling and perhaps that I'm not that great at it, but. <laughs> wow, did you just go valley on me? A little bit. Yeah. I like to go a little valley girl every once in a while just to keep yeah. things interesting. But I didn't squeak this time. No, you did not. Yeah, you got your squeaker fixed. I, <laughs> that sounds like something from Toy Story. <laughs> I love it. No, but, you know, it's interesting. I'm getting ready for a gig on um, Tuesday, and this is my third gig for this industry, uh, for the student financial aid industry. And it got me thinking about the fact that, you know, yes, they have to hold their teams accountable if they manage people, you know, they have to work within their own group, but they also have to work with registrars at the university who don't work for them. They have to work with the students and hold the students and their families accountable. Um, There are probably other, you know, lenders and things like that, that they have to hold accountable in order to do the job they need to do. Uh, And it's, it's a lot of the same stuff that we talk about, but there are some nuances, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because I, I, I have two current clients now that this is 100% applicable to. You know, So one is a, a general contractor, and I, I just did a big program for them. And their issue is that they're employees, and they have a good number of employees, but their issue isn't their employees. They're actually a great company with a, a fantastic uh, a culture, a, a training, and all the things we've talked about they have in place. And their challenge, though, is holding their trade partners, their Mm -hmm. clients, and their vendors, right? So all the stakeholders, which are really part of the team, especially, you know, any company, right? Your team is much bigger than just your your, your employees, if you have them. The other one is a SEO company that literally has no employees, but they do a uh, several million dollars worth of business, and they have a large team of independent contractors who, of course, have other clients, and that has its own challenges. And yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of that going on nowadays with the gig economy as people are uh, virtualizing and, and it's uh, globalized because some of these people are also international. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think... Of- are some of the nuances let's let's talk first about the people who are working with you who are getting paid to work with you like the contractor people that you just mentioned where where do you think that the differences lie um with those folks well the, the biggest difference of course is as a contractor as a 1099 contractor you have no ability one has no ability to dictate how they do their job right you have a contract that says these are the results we're looking for and there's no way to say, but this is the methodology I want you to use to get it. And so that becomes a, a challenge, right? Because accountability ultimately, well, we're talking about persuasion, not necessarily accountability, but you know, accountability is is how you do things. 
Um, so now persuasion become, comes into uh, effect where it's like, well, what do we need to do to make sure you do things the way you're supposed to do them when you said you're going to do them or how I might need you to do them? Or when. Yeah, when. Well, all of that, right? You know, yeah. um, and especially the when, because that's the biggest challenge is, you know, you might say, hey, I need this by Wednesday and they have other priorities and they do their best or maybe they don't do their best or, you know. Yeah. Well, and, and it comes down to, I think, clear communication, um, but also that building that baseline foundation of trust and respect that we've talked about a lot, you know, because with a lot of the people that are contractors or, you know, external people have other things going on. And my thought is I want them to make me a priority to the need, to the degree that I need to be a priority to them, right? They've got probably got a lot of other things going on, which makes it easy to say, eh, Dave's project, he's kind of a pain in the butt. Eh, I'll do that later. And they prioritize other people over, over you, which you don't want. And I feel like if you've got that foundational relationship. They like working with you. They feel rewarded by working with you. Um, and they're very clear on what the expectations are. They're more likely to prioritize you in a case where it matters. Absolutely. And, you know, it really is the same technique, whether it's uh, outside contractor or internal stakeholder, in the sense that um, you, it's, if you don't dictate, you say, look, this is what my need is. And can you meet this? Or, or what's your, you know, when can you get this project done? And the negotiation becomes that sort of, look, this is what I need. Is this reasonable? They say yes, they say no you know, and you sort of negotiate that through and co-create together whatever that solution looks like, right? That doesn't change. And now you've empowered them. And if they agree to it, as opposed to being dictated to it, they're going to have a greater tendency at that point than to honor that commitment. Well, yes. And, and I think that I love that you already talked about getting on the same page. And I completely agree with you that, you know, when we work on that together or co-create as you said, they're, they're going to be tending to adhere to that more, but just having the conversation, just having the agreement, you know, I was just looking through an agreement that I have for where I live and where I have my studio. And, you know, I was like, it is good to get all of this stuff on paper in understanding before we even start the relationship. And some people get so weird when it's like, let's make some agreements. But in the end of the day, it makes the next conversation when things aren't going well, so much easier. And when we've got clarity around expectations and we're both on the same page, you're less likely to end up at that tough conversation in the first place. Yeah. Or, I mean, I had a situation uh, a month or two ago where we had a, what I thought was a crystal clear agreement verbally. And six, eight weeks later, when you know the events uh, unfolded and after the fact, they came back to me and they said, well, we want to change the quote agreement. And I was like, are you, are you nuts? And so I didn't handle it very well, you know, and, and at the time yeah, are I you thought, nuts? you know, you might want to, yeah. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. And that's not what I said, but it could have been right. I mean, yeah. I was, I was taken aback by the request because I thought we were both really crystal clear on, on what the agreement was. I, I mishandled it. Um, I could have handled it a lot better. I, I could have said something like, you know, hey, I, you know, per our verbal agreement, you know, uh, I just want to honor that, blah, blah, blah. You know, what's, you know, blah, something like that. Mm -hmm. Had I, after our initial meeting where we came to this verbal agreement, simply sent an email that said, hey, great talking to you today. 
here's what we agreed to. Did I misunderstand anything? And sent that off right away. Then six weeks later, I could have just forwarded that same email and said, hey, I'm really confused. This is what I thought we agreed to. Why are you asking for this other thing? Yeah. Yeah. And anybody with integrity at that point. And of course, you've got the trail that you can follow if you need to take escalate to another level. But in the end of the day, you know, just that initial conversation helps so much. Yeah. But but putting I mean, so that's the mechanics, right, uh, of it. But putting the mechanics aside, just simply engaging somebody, which was what we did right in this situation I'm talking about is, is the two of us sat down and talked about and, and, and co-created, and it was his suggestion, but created a solution that although he didn't honor the solution, in, in, you know, and that's another, you know, that's another piece of it. At the time, it was something we both could live with. And there's... It, while I may be seeming to contradict myself, it's not 100%, obviously, right? We're not talking about magic where it works every time. But there is a tendency at that point for most people. And the beauty about this, from my perspective, too, is, you know, that gave me a lot of insight into this person's character and will influence my decision to work with them in some form or another in the future or not work with them, which is the reality is, you know, I just... And, and so that's what happens with our... And this was my point with uh, with my client last week when we were talking about working with their subcontractors is if you come to an agreement on how you're going to do things, I'm going to put these many resources on the job or whatever it is, and they don't honor it, okay, well, maybe next time you find a different subcontractor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's and that's one of those nuanced situ- parts of this situation is this isn't somebody who works for you. So there's always the option for them to go somewhere else or for you to ask them to go somewhere else, you know, or for you to not choose them again, which is an, an important piece of this on both sides. Yeah, it's funny. I, I This thought just popped into my head. Um, there was so much space in there, I think, that there was room for it. Uh, Things were rattling around. Right, bing, 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 bing. But, you know, it's a, it's a lot like the difference between living together and marriage, right? So an employee is like a spouse, there's a there's a commitment level there, and I've had people, and I'm sure you have too, in, uh, in your lifetime, who are like, "Oh, we may as well have been married. We've been together for seven years." Yeah, you may as well, but you're not, and and those yeah. are two different things because you can even a seven year I- informal relationship, it's easier to walk away from that than it is a marriage. It's just the 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 commitment level to untangle that relationship is not as severe. An employee relationship is a much more entangled relationship. And that may vary from state to state, certainly here in California, but there's a lot of employee empowerment in the state laws. Whereas a contractual contractor relationship, it's much easier to say, you know, it's just a, it's a vendor. No, I'm not going to do business with you again. Right. Exactly. And so it's something that you need to think about as you're trying to hold these people accountable. Um, You know, do I want to do this with them? And that or not, you know, in the future. And that can dictate possibly the way that you approach the situation. Yeah, it actually makes the requirement in terms of uh, skill set to uh, persuade people to do to do what they're supposed to do or what they agreed to do much more challenging, right, in a sense. Uh, because on, on the one hand, you could just get rid of them. On the other hand, wow, do you really want to go through those headaches just like an employee, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just a little more nuanced and they could leave you high and dry because it's easier for them to leave. You know exactly, 
Exactly. So making sure, again, you're building that foundation and you're communicating expectations and you're communicating with them, not to them uh, exclusively. Do you think there's any other aspects of that relationship specifically? I mean, besides how easy it is to walk away, that makes it challenging. Well, no, I mean, uh, besides the communication and then building that foundation of trust. Well, I mean, I think it's the same in, in many, right? You still need to model, right? So you still need to um, seek first to understand, then be understood as uh, I think that was Dale Carnegie said, right? So what what is it that they're looking for? What makes their life easier? What? How can you help, right? These are the same sort of things you think about with an employee, right? right. Our job as a leader is to to help facilitate them doing their job. When we hire a subcontractor, you know, we want to make it easier on them. And, and yeah. if we do that, right, we become, we, so you mentioned something earlier, we may not be their biggest client financially, and, or we may not be a big percentage of their revenue financially, even if we are a big client, you know, um, but if we become one of their more favorite clients. Right. The whole, they're always easy to do business with. It's less expensive, especially on the contracting side. It's less expensive to do somebody with business with somebody that's not complicated, that they don't require a lot of calls, that they don't, you know, you've got the resources and the information that they need available to them so that they don't have to chase it down and spend extra time. I mean, there's huge benefits to that. You know, there's a great book by Mike Michalowicz, uh, The Pumpkin Planet. Have you, do you know it? No, I know Mike Michalowicz. I don't know the uh, that book specifically. Yeah, so in the pumpkin plan, uh, Mike's talking actually about how to really specialize your business to make it highly profitable, and it's about building a four hundred, growing a four hundred pound pumpkin. I'm not going to go into detail, but he has these sort of requirements. Um, one of which is it's not just about you know when you're defining what is your quote four hundred pound pumpkin, what is your prize winning pumpkin, right? And so it's it's a highly profitable client, specially niche, but more importantly than that, one of his rules is no dicks, right? Yeah, what do you mean? Should, well, in other words, just because a client is profitable, if the phone rings and you cringe and you go, let it go to voicemail, right? You just don't need the aggravation is his yeah. point, right? And because they cost you more money to deal with their high maintenance ways, irrespective of how much revenue they're bringing in, that cost offsets that right and the reason i bring that up is when you're when you're dealing with uh vendors whether as a subcontractor or a supplier or whoever that vendor is put the other hat on you don't want to be that dick mm -hmm. don't you don't want to be the client they fire <laughs> right or one that they you, if you find yourself going to voicemail a lot that's a big clue that maybe you're not doing something right right well, what would you do in that case? If you start to get the hint that they're prioritizing other clients over you and they're not getting the deadlines and all that stuff. I mean, obviously a conversation's in order. Yeah. I'm a big believer uh, of uh, talking about the 800 pound gorilla in the room. Yeah. Or the 400 pound big, pumpkin. Yeah. I was going to use a different analogy about big smelly brown things on the table. Um, There's that. Yeah. What do people say? Let's talk about the turtle on the table. Um <laughs> Never heard that, but I'm definitely going to use it in the future. I knew you would like that one. I enjoy that. Right, Everybody it, loves a little good alliteration. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when it's poo alliteration, it's even better. Um, yes. 
but uh, you know, if, if you're getting that sense that you know they're avoiding you, just nicely have that conversation. Right. Hey, I, you know, uh, I'm curious because you know uh, I, I, I leave your voicemails all the time, and and you know you're slow to get back. Have I done something to offend you? Right. Remember, yeah, and I'm, I, go ahead. I was just going to say. Notice, by the way, it's not. Are you pissed at me? Right. I don't want to put it on them. Did I yeah. do something to offend you? Right. Yeah. Well, and I usually go at it from a little bit more specific approach based on what I need. Um, you know, I, I would say something like, hey, you know, I've left a lot of voicemails. I'm trying to get information so I can complete X, Y, Z. Is there a better way to get in touch with you so that I can get the information I need? Or is there somebody else I can reach out to? Um, and, and again, if I'm like, uh, is there another way? Like I tone is important here. Um, but by being specific, I recognize that I may be trying to communicate in a way that's not their preferred way of communication or way of working. And I'm willing to adjust to be easier to work with for them. Yeah. I guess it's the difference is approaches. Where are you on sort of, you know, Right in the beginning, you might start that way, right? Because Nat doesn't assume. But if at some point you're like, "Wow, no," they said, "No, just call. I'm fine." And then you're still being avoided. Right? Okay, mm -hmm. what's next? Yeah, right. Right. Maybe, maybe I'm a pain in the tail to work for. Right. And you might even say something like that if if you suspect that's the case. Hey, listen, I, I'm not trying to be a pain in the tail. If I if I cross the line, yeah, yeah, be candid with me. I, I I want this to be right. Show them. I want this to be a good working relationship. Yeah. And I always tie that part back to what we're trying to achieve together. You know, I want to make sure ultimately our, our client, our collective client gets what they need or that this project gets completed uh, with a level of efficiency or effectiveness or whatever. I always kind of tie it back to those goals too, so that they understand that we're working towards the same thing um, and that we want to try to get there. Yeah. What, what I love about that, and I'm glad you brought that up, is irrespective of whether you're talking to employees or, or other outside stakeholders, because that encompasses everybody else. And by the way, this is yeah. your client and your vendors, subcontractors, which are really just a, a, a type of vendor, actually. Um, you want to tie it into the bigger picture that's outside of yourself, right? It's not about you. You're making right. my life difficult. It's what is our mission, right? What is our mission and, and getting it done? Yeah. Well, and this, I mean, as I think about the example with the student financial aid administrators, um, you know, this becomes a very important piece to bring up too. These are the people you're essentially working for. They are your clients, um, but ultimately they want to achieve success where you want to achieve success in getting them, you know, their their money for school. So it's like, hey, just want to remind you of this deadline you know, if we don't get this in, we may not get this funding, you know, which is what we're ultimately trying to achieve together, which will provide that motivation. Right. Or, and I say, or not, not that this is different, but like in, in my case, working in the construction world, for example, you're talking to your subcontractors, look, if we can get this job finished on time or early on schedule or, or ahead of schedule, that means we, I have more projects for this year, which is more opportunity for you as well. It's the win, win, win. Everybody's yeah. going to win. So it's really in everyone's best interest to, to get this done. Right? So now we're all of a sudden we're creating this bigger picture of, uh, of it's not uh, myopic on just getting this particular project done. 
Well, exactly. And I think that's a really important point too, that we can use with our, with our teams, with our contractors, but that longer term investment of making it work right now too. You know, this isn't transactional. This is a long-term relationship. We can work together better in the future, you know, by calling on that long-term piece, we also may have more success. Yeah. And as you develop a team that works well together, that's all, you know, again, I'm to use the trite phrase of pulling the roars in the same direction and all that other, you know, hocus pocus that is actually true and meaningful, right? Um, the more that happens, the more it will happen. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. And, and switching over to those people that aren't being paid to work with you. Like if you have to hold your client accountable or, or like in the student financial aid, the students accountable, um, really thinking ahead to where those sticking points are going to be. I think being proactive is really, really important, especially with those people who you are officially, it's your job to serve. Um, you're still going to need some things from them. You're still going to need to ask for some, for some things from them. And so being proactive on that front end and saying, where could this get ugly? And let me see what I can do ahead of time to make sure that doesn't happen to the best of my ability. Yeah. And, you know, to your point, and this is actually right on point with the same challenge, that, you know, again, with construction where they're dealing with their clients, having that, and you mentioned this earlier, having that not just in writing upfront, you know, you know, you agreed to, you know, to get your paperwork in on time and, you know, blah, 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 blah. In construction, you know, if you need to, okay, change orders or here's what will happen. And these are the potential consequences. The job comes to a halt. Then there's an extra cost to you to restart again, yada, yada, yada. Not just have that in the paperwork, but I'm a big believer of you hit that hard verbally you know, those are the sort of things that you have people initial and you talk right. to them and you have, because I've had, I've had this in the past where I've been able to say to you, do you remember when we talked about this? Okay. Right. It's, it, it, I need this back today or we're going to have to implement or execute or whatever, you know, that's going to come, that's going to come about. And I'm trying to avoid that. I'm sure you don't want to see that too. Yeah, exactly. And, and, Again, that comes with that proactive clarity up front. And I love the idea of, again, having it writing. Let's talk about this one specifically, have them initial it. And it feels like it's, you know, beating a dead horse. It feels like it's naggy. But in the end of the day, if it saves you from that headache down the road, or it makes that headache easier to alleviate down the road, more power, big win. Yeah. And frankly, and this is to your point a few minutes ago, when you're having those conversations, I love saying things like, Listen, I know it sounds like I'm beating a dead horse. This is what I've seen in the past. And I'm trying to save you headaches because you're not going to want this to happen. And I know if we have this conversation now, then you'll remember it when, if this situation comes up or whatever, you'll remember it. Yeah, exactly. And and even with the people that, that again, your, your clients, your, the people you're serving, um, having that up front and just letting them know it won't necessarily be consequences like fees to them or whatever. Well, it might be. Um, but again, even though you're, they are your client, making sure those things are super clear. It will, again, it just helps them understand the process. And, you know, one of the things I talk about in when we've, I think we did an episode on this a little while ago is that in order for somebody to 
to want to interact with you, to be willing to take the risk of healthy interaction, they need to feel respect, they need to feel valued, and they need to feel a little bit of control. And in this case, when we give them all that information up front, you were waiting for me to land the plane. You're like, where the heck are you going with this? Um, if we give them that all that information, up front, we're essentially giving them control because now they have all the information. They can make the decision for themselves how they're going to proceed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's no hidden agendas here. Everything's on the table and their choices will yield the results that you've laid out. It's their choice. Exactly. Exactly. Now, there's one more aspect of this that I, I was thinking of as as I was thinking about the person who does sales for me, as I'm thinking about this contractor situation with construction, is thinking about your company's brand identity and how those external people that work essentially, quote unquote, for you um, are representing your brand. You know, some companies aren't quite as sticky about this, but for some companies, this is who they are. And it's very, very important. And upholding the service standards or upholding the paperwork standards or the graphic standards or whatever is really, really important. Absolutely. And, you know, that is the challenge of working with contractors versus employees right there. And yet the solution is the same. Yeah. Find people that share your values, share your vision, share your passion. And, and when you do all that, you know. yeah, or to the best of your ability, because sometimes you're not going to have a whole lot of choice, um, but making sure they understand and you understand what those important pieces of that are so that you can communicate them proactively. Yeah. I'm not sure when you say sometimes you don't have a choice. We always have choices. So I'm not quite sure what you're alluding to. Well, there. I mean, so you call a contracting company and say, send us some people to do this work over at the job site or whatever, you might not have the ability to pick the people specifically that come that day. Correct. And my point is not so much the individual people, but if the contracting company that I am working with shares those values, those passion, those things, chances are the people they send are going to share those same things. Well, hopefully, though these days when with more jobs than people, sometimes we have to settle for a warm body, even if it's not fully representing the ethos of the company that we partner with. Yes, I agree. With, I agree that that <laughs> These happens. days, pulses are important. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the better companies, and, and certainly this is what I preach, won't hire um, mirror foggers, right? The, mirror the, foggers. <laughs> Yes. But, but I mean, that's if, if you're doing that, you're actually going to you're shooting yourself in the foot, in my opinion. I think this is probably a potential topic for a whole nother podcast. Um, but, you know, from my perspective, it, it, you know, I'd rather not hire somebody than hire the wrong person. Yeah. Yes. And I'd rather have my company stay in business than not have people to do the work. I mean, they're, they're, I know a lot of companies these days who at times, not it's not the long-term solution, but a lot of times right now they're down to, I just need somebody to show up. <laughs> and it's not ideal. It's totally not ideal. And where we have control of it, we absolutely, you know, in an ideal situation. But these days, I know a lot of industries are suffering from lack of ideal. Oh, I agree. I, I, I agree with that. Um, 
I just don't know that that's a solution, but that's a rabbit hole for another show. It's another rabbit hole we'll deal with another day. Right. Anything else you want to share about working with the uh, uh, non-employee stakeholders? You know, I, those are the big ones that uh, I had on my list here. Awesome. Well, I think it was a great show. And uh, folks, if you have any comments or, or uh, additional insights, feel free to let us know. Let us know. We'd love to uh, address those. All right. Well, if that's the case, we'll say goodbye until next time. See you next week. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at LockedOnLeadership.com. And this is Ann Bonney at YourChangeSpeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. <laughs>